0: Welcome, education innovators. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and I am Nate McLennan. So a recent poll by Gallup found that only 48% of students rated their schools as excellent or good at making students excited about learning. And if we correlate excitement about learning with motivation science, as in, I am motivated to learn, we can look at four elements. Purpose, is the learning meaningful? Agency, do I have a choice in what I learn? Self-efficacy, do I have the skills to learn? And just productive emotions. Do I feel positive and do I feel like I belong in my learning environment? All learning was originally motivating. As a species, we learn because that is how we survived and sustained culture. And there's nothing more motivating than that. However, as the world industrialized and education approaches homogenized, the purpose, agency, self-efficacy have disappeared writ large. Yet, place-based education, something that's near and dear to my heart, a movement that was articulated in the 1990s, and now has become a centerpiece of education innovation everywhere's so rekindling purposeful and agency-filled learning for young people. And while not explicitly named as place-based across the, the education ecosystem, these learning experiences that are unbundled or project-based or real-world, grounded in the tools of competencies and personalized approaches, all fit within this place-based paradigm, using learning to engage the real world around real experiences and challenge. And this approach teaches critical skills that are a priority for an increasingly disconnected and complicated world. So today, I'm super excited to speak with my friend and colleague, Sharon Laidloft, who's the Director of Place Network at Teton Science School. So welcome, Sharon.
1: Thank you, Nate. So happy to be here.
0: So Sharon, you are we were talking right before we started. You're down in Austin right now. And is it—is it, given your place, uh, when we talk about place-based education, uh, what's the weather down there? Is it hot? <laughs>
1: Our place is hot and our place is dry. <laughs> We'd like some rain.
0: Yeah, I, I empathize with anyone living in the South. So uh, place-based education right now is all about heat right now in the South. So um, so Sharon, let's have a conversation about place-based education. You've been at the science schools for a handful of years. You and I worked together for a while, um, uh, both on online learning, but also uh, around place-based education. And let's start with context, uh, your journey. So what engaged you the most when you were a learner? Uh, when you were in K twelve, and then did you always start out? Did you start out in education, or did you start out a different route?
1: Yeah, I love that question because I still have the drawing I made when I was in kindergarten. That that the title is, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I drew myself as a teacher. Um, it's never really wavered. I thought for a while I might go into law, but I've always wanted to be a teacher. I've always wanted to, to be in education. And I was a really self-motivated learner. I mean, I was fortunate to, I think, be told early on that I was a competent learner and I was good at doing things, which gave me a sense of um self-efficacy when it came to my own education. So I was propelled by a series of hobbies and wanting to learn how to master new skills, whether it was piano or crafts or reading. Um, so yeah, I was pretty self-motivated. And I think that made me feel like being in a school or a classroom was a good place to be.
0: Do you think that, that this this is a, a second secondary question, do you think that you were taught to be self-motivated just because how you were brought up or was it innate? Did you just love to learn and have continued to love to learn?
1: Well, my dad was a teacher. So our family was structured as a place of learning. Everything was this sort of over-the-top learning experience. Uh, But I think that I, um, yeah, I think I just, like I said, I think I I didn't mind jumping through hoops that school required of me. And um, I could get along with the system well enough to experience success in it. And that was a self-affirming experience, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. There's some sort of reinforcing loop that happens, right? When you find success in the system, which obviously not all learners do, um, it, it makes you maybe more and more motivated to, to do more learning in the system. So, um, and there might, there might be something with having educators as parents. Um, I had educators as parents too, and I, I feel like that, Subtly, we, we, we thought about learning a lot, or at least the, the, the setup was about learning a lot. So I appreciate that. And then, and then did you go right into education after your formal schooling, um, or did you have other uh, occupations before that?
1: No, right in, right into education. After I graduated as an English major, I was a volunteer in Costa Rica for a year with an organization called uh, World Teach and then started a series of jobs as working peripherally to the public schools for a few years before I got my teaching certification and became a ninth grade English teacher.
0: Got it. And last question about your journey, uh, first placement, where was it in, in your, when you, when you started teaching outside of Costa Rica and these other um, circuit or other areas of surrounding education?
1: Yeah, I, um, I, was really fortunate to get a job in a super complex, interesting school here in Austin um, that doesn't exist anymore. It was called Johnston high school. Um, And it had a very deep history in the community that it was in, but it really struggled to produce the results on state tests that, that the state demanded. Um, So, It was, we received a lot of fantastic professional development. We were trying to be an IB school. Um, We tried a team teaching approach. So as a new teacher, I was really, I was exposed to some pretty incredible models of innovation as they tried to turn this school around. Um, So yeah, it was challenging. And also I'm really glad that's where I started.
0: Sounds great. And I'm sad that the school's not still around, um, but it sounds like an amazing experience for those who are able to enroll. Okay. So you've been at Teton Science Schools for a handful of years now. Uh, what is Teton Science Schools? Um, I know I worked there for a long time, so so I'm, I'm pretty aware of, of the history and where it's been. But for our listeners who may not know much about it, how, how do you describe it um, to your friends, family, other uh, colleagues?
1: Yeah, well, Teton Science Schools began 50 years ago as a program to teach students in the outdoor classroom of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So the mission of TSS is inspiring curiosity, engagement, and leadership through transformative place-based education. And now it sort of has spread rhizomatically from its original uh, purposes to include many different departments that deliver that mission in different ways, so there's, there are two independent schools, or one independent school with two campuses. Um, we do wildlife tours. We have programs for visiting school groups. And then we have the professional learning team that I'm a part of. Um, so yeah, all centered around this mission of, of learning through the lens of place.
0: I had to pause and just note that you use the word rhizomatically, which uh, feels very appropriate to someone who loves the outdoors like you and me. <laughs> so uh, just want to put a, a side note there. Um, all right. So so a mission of place-based education. There's, there are not many organizations in the US that use the word place-based education in their missions. So um, you and I both share a passion for the world of place-based education. How, how do you define it as you're um, in your current role and and you learned about it, as you merged into Teton Science Schools, and, and I think more importantly, like why is it critical for the world right now? Um, what what gap is it filling?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really love the way you defined it in the introduction or the history that you gave, because for me, place-based education feels like a return to what education was originally all about, and and in the long, long span of history, we have this very short. You know 100 125 years of industrialized education systems that have disconnected us from place and i think you know broadly broadly defined i would define place-based education as connecting learners and community with the purpose of increasing student engagement educational outcomes and impact on communities so now Communities, especially rural communities, are looking for ways to help students find a sense of purpose and belonging in an increasingly globalized world. Um, they seek to address the flight of young people from their communities and/or decreasing student understanding of local ecology, local culture, and history.
0: So, so Sharon, I'm I'm, I'm hearing you think about this this disc, increasingly disconnected world, and you focused on uh, sort of rural communities, and of course, it's happening everywhere. Do you think that there's something there about, so I have this hypothesis that that really learning happens everywhere, anywhere. So you can't stop humans from learning. So when students are outside of school, they're learning, they just may not be learning the things that we think they should be learning. So do you have a sense that, that as you've explored place-based education, that it, it, they are disconnected from their place, but they're still learning in their place And they're learning in their school. And what we're trying to do is connect those two pieces. Does does that make sense what I'm saying there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the tools that Place Network uses to help schools do that is what we call the Place Prism, which is looking at Place through the lenses of ecology, culture, and economy along the spectrum of history and thinking about impact moving into the future. So... To me, the place prism is the bridge between the physical experience of the of the world around them and then the core content that teachers are tasked with addressing in the classroom in a traditional school setting.
0: Ooh, that makes total sense. And now I I need to think about this prism um, vision for a second. So. You have you have uh, th- these three points here of ecology culture and economy that certainly you and I have talked about a lot and we've talked about at Teton science schools And what you're saying is that you're also looking at it from past history and also into the future. Do you think, do you think that there's also I- I'm, I'm curious about I-, I wonder if place is the same for m- most people or does every person along it, as they, as they sort of articulate that prism, articulate it in a different way. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Every person articulates it in a different way. And I think one of, the, one of the learnings for our team over the last couple of years is the importance of digging into identity and perspective when experiencing place. And this is important for us as adults, for teachers who are trying to facilitate place-based learning for students. It's important for students to develop that skill of positioning themselves and who they are and, and what their lived experience is relative to the, the place that they're exploring.
0: Right, right. So it's almost everything is unique here, right? And, and, and maybe the, the job of the educator or the teacher is to figure out each of those unique uh, perspectives that each of their learners might have, and, and then fit that into an experience that that all can participate in. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's also about facilitating the process of inquiry that lets students come to those discoveries on their own as they're, you know, they're, they're asking questions and reflecting that that understanding of who they are and their positionality relative to their place unfolds over time. Right. And and um,
0: and letting them use inquiry to get to that point to discover that, powerful, powerful. I love it. All right. So you mentioned Place Network, part of Teton Science Schools, correct? And and how, what is Place Network? What's the status of it right now? Like, can you talk a little? It has a learning model associated with it. Um, how do you talk about the network? Um, and and and. Uh, any stories of impact uh, that that might give our listeners some sense of what does it mean to be part of the network?
1: Yeah, Place Network is a connected community of approximately 20 schools across the U.S. and a couple in Canada um, who are committed to place-based education. It's an opportunity for school leaders and teachers to learn from each other and find inspiration and solutions that they need to break away from that industrialized model of education and do something transformational when they don't necessarily have a ton of examples and a ton of resources from which to draw. Like you said, place-based education isn't something that's really well known or, or, or talked about extensively. Um, so this lets schools learn from each other and rely on the expertise, the strategies and the, the instructional materials that Teton Science Schools has developed over the years to bring that practice to their community. Um, so, you know, a core impact of place-based education is the student design and executed community impact projects. That's really what's visible. So we're going through the this super fun process right now at the end of the school year of curating projects that teachers and students have done over the past year at our different schools. And just seeing the range from, you know, Pre-K learners exploring uh, desert ecosystems all the way up to secondary students who are out there really designing new products or engaging with authentic audiences in a, at a totally different level in their community and developing that confidence um, and the, the ability to, to interact with community leaders. Um, it's just, it's super powerful. It's really exciting to see what schools are doing. Yeah. And that
0: makes me think a little bit about the, these, some of the core principles of place-based education, which have both inquiry, which you've mentioned, and then design sort of designing solutions. And to be clear that community impact projects, you know, at first, I think we, we need to have people explore a place to understand a place before they decide where they may be able to make an impact. Um, would you agree with that? Is that that there's an order of
1: operations there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so one of the things that we've been doing lately, so Place Network is s- sort of at an inflection point after about four years, you know, including pandemic years, which who knows whether that shortens or extends our sense of our sense of time. Um, but after about four years of implementation, now we have some schools who've really been doing this work deeply. We're able to sort of look at what's what are the factors that have gone into their success and have contributed to that. The learning model and framework that we have been working with was pretty complex. So it had six principles, four elements that supported place-based education, and it felt like a lot to schools. And schools were were asking us for more uh you know, guide rails around what what are the really critical moves that we need to make here. Um, the, the things that are going to have the most impact in propelling us toward an identity as a place-based institution. So we've been really trying to work on honing that and making that a little bit more specific for schools. Um, so you mentioned inquiry, you mentioned community impact, The other component that we all we often put together with inquiry is design thinking, um, which, you know, again, would also inform that that end product that you've also talked about place based education at its core being learner centered and relevant to the students interests in their lives. Um, It's interdisciplinary. Again, you know, only within the last 125 years of this sort of factory model of education have we divided learning up into these discrete topics. It was never never like that. The world doesn't exist in those discrete categories. They're all interrelated. So a truly place-based approach is also interdisciplinary. Um, And it also includes elements of personalized learning, competency-based education, Explicit character and leadership development and project-based learning, which is a lot. Those are a lot of different things for schools to take on.
0: It's funny when I, as I listen to you talk about it, which I was part of the design process of, of thinking about that model, and as you talk to me about it, I, I'm saying to myself, "Hmm, that's pretty complicated," uh, and yet I believe deeply in all those six principles. I believe deeply in the tools of of competency-based and personalized and um, uh, character and leadership. So ha- in your discussions with the team at Teton Sign Schools, have you found the, what are the priority items that have, what are the biggest levers you can pull for a school who wants to move forward with this type of model? Or you are you still in discussions, I guess?
1: We're still in discussions. We're still in discussions. Um, I think some things have really crystallized for us thinking about the schools that have been successful and saying, you know, do we have examples of schools that we have have an identity as a place-based school that are not doing competency-based education? And the answer is yes. But we do believe, I mean, I'm a competency-based girl at heart. I already told you that my, my initial, you know, motivations to learn were driven by a sense of mastery, but I think that those are accelerators to place-based education. They help move it along more quickly or take it to the next level rather than being core to a place-based practice at a school. So some of the things that we do think are core, some of our core principles, for example, community as classroom is probably the most foundational element to place-based education. If there isn't an interplay between the community and the classroom in terms of community leaders, community members coming into the school and students going out into the community to learn, then that would not be a place-based education if, if that were not the case. Um, and another core element that we that we've really identified would be inquiry-based learning and design thinking. And that the community impact piece, students having a sense of self-efficacy regarding their ability to positively impact their place stems from that initial inquiry, asking the right questions, engaging and collaborating with others to design solutions that really reflect um, the needs that they've identified and the people that they they're collaborating with.
0: That is super interesting, and I really appreciate the thinking that's going on there. Um, and and sometimes I think about that inquiry and design is 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 sort of fundamental to human learning. Is we're we're wondering about the world and we're doing something about it. And that if you look at a young baby, they're 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 wandering around their world and they're exploring, and then they're going to do something with what they've learned from that exploration. And and that's no different. And yet, in the models that we've, we've created in the K in 12 sector and, and higher ed, et cetera, and often in, in the employment sector as well, where we we depower rather than empower employees, um, we don't see inquiry in design. So uh, I appreciate that, as, as, as those along with community as classroom as primary, the primary core components of place based. And then there's these other pieces that are accelerators, so competency based. It's an accelerator, but not a requirement. Because competency Base, as you and I both know, it's hard to implement well. If you can do it well, it'll make your PBE, place-based education skyrocket and do great, but it's not a critical component. So um, I'd really appreciate that thinking. So, okay, Sharon, we're gonna, you You are uh, an ed technologist for a while in, in one of the identities that you held as an educator. Um, so let's dive into a little bit. And in fact, you, you were hired at Teton Science Schools to be the director of online learning. Um, do you feel so? So, give me your perspective on technology connected to what you are doing now. Are, are you now leaving that behind? Uh, and then that translates into my next very big question about AI and your 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 personal feelings about like what on earth is going on with that and and how is that going to impact education?
1: Yeah. Well. When my title included online learning, I think I would often describe myself as a sheep in wolf's clothing, and <laughs> that I felt a little bit, um, you know, Trojan horsey, like I was getting into the, in the door into this, this ed tech world, and then I would come into the conversation all about how dangerous it was, and we needed to provide the right sort of Alternatives to technology and help students develop really strong digital citizenship skills and learn how to use technology mindfully. Um, so, so all of that is very much in alignment with the trajectory that I've gone, um, and also the power that the way that technology can um, can can also be an accelerator can create. Efficiency can allow us to collaborate and um, can help students get a sense of different scales of place without leaving the classroom. Um, there's there's no there's no replacement for that, and and I wouldn't want to take all of that away. I wouldn't want to undo all of that. Um, but I think that. I You know, when our initial models for place-based learning were being developed, I don't know, five, six years ago, the the real hard work was being done. One of the principles was local to global. And the directionality has always struck me because I think maybe six years ago for young people, they would start with an understanding of their local world and, and we wanted to help them see issues on that scale from local to global. And now I think one of the biggest challenges that students face is that they're inundated with global scales of concern. Their their social media feed, their the news that they're being um, exposed to is all about global issues, which has to contribute to the Mental health crisis that young people are experiencing. I mean, if you're ten and you're reading about climate change or the the war in Ukraine, what can you do with that in your own life? You know, where where is your sense of efficacy regarding the, those issues? And so, part of what place based education is so well positioned to do is provide an antidote to some of that overwhelm and that the, the unmanageable scale of, of concern that, that young people are presented with, you know, so being able to take an issue like climate change, maybe they're reading about the torrential rain that, that the Northeast has been experiencing in this past week and seeing images online of communities flooded out or, you know, cars underwater. Well, how, what is it that a 10 year old can do to distill that kind of that issue into something that they can impact in in their school or in their community?
0: Right, which then gives them agency. Whereas what you're describing before, right? Like they don't, When you when you just absorb a feed that is full of all sorts of very large scale challenges, you have a a lack of agency, you don't know what to do. Whereas I think what I'm hearing you say is that I love the word anecdote, like this idea that we have, uh, or antidote, antidote, uh, the the antidote for these large, unsolvable challenges that they're inundated with is go outside in your local community, see what's going on and figure out how you can do something there. And and it most, it might just be go explore and look and, and take a hike in the woods. Or in the, the city park, or along the street, and you might find problems worth solving, challenges worth addressing. So I, I love that idea of anecdotes. Um, uh, so fascinating perspective. So, so then let's pivot to the to the big revelation right now around AI. Any perspectives on that? Is that going Im- to impact place based education? Is it just a like where, where does it sit? Is it is there any overlap or no overlap?
1: Well, yeah, I am. I'm a little bit of an AI nerd. I've had a lot of fun with ChatGPT. And, you know, what I did last week with AI is probably already outdated. It's just changing so fast and it's impossible to predict where we're going, especially when it comes to student interaction with it. Because I think at this point, learners, K-12 students, are really just still dabbling in the, like, how do I get it to write my essay for me? And we know it's going to eventually do so much more than that. But I think that initially, for me, what I'm super excited about is AI's role in helping solve the curriculum challenge for teachers, because it is such a great uh, teaching assistant. And... Just this morning, I got a I got a request from a school leader who was saying, we bought this packaged curriculum to help our teachers, uh, I think it's K2, with reading instruction. And the teachers are concerned because they don't know how to make it place based which is really common. A lot of our schools have that, especially for reading and math, they have some kind of prescribed curriculum, either it comes down from the district or the school has purchased it as, you know, to try to address standardized test scores often. Um, And I was able to take one of the lessons from that curriculum, plug it into ChatGPT and give ChatGPT the prompt to adapt it to a place-based approach.
0: Ha ha ha. And what happened? I'm so curious.
1: He spit out a fantastic lesson. And this particular lesson, this was first grade reading and the suggestions weren't really like earth shattering, but, you know, instead of the, you know, the loose recommendation in the original lesson plan was to display books around the room. Well, Chachi PT told them to present books about the local ecology and the local culture and local history Small tweaks. Um, it made it more inquiry based. It um, made the lesson. Uh, I think it tasked students with a, an authentic audience, a presentation to an authentic audience at the end. And and
0: and that I to see, If we can use AI as a way to increase efficiency to get to better learning, then education and young people will benefit. my my worry is, is that we use a- AI to do not so great education just more efficiently. And so there's these there's this binary uh, sort of pros and cons there but I too am excited. I too am a, an AI nerd and you know it feels like every day I'm learning something new and saying, oh my gosh, I wonder how that's going to impact X or y. So yeah,
1: can I can I back up for a second about AI? Okay so the real challenge that ai is presenting us is not so different from the challenges that teachers faced with the introduction of a search engine so when students could google the answer to questions teachers struggled to find out well how do i let students use a computer if they can just look up the answers to what i'm asking them and the thought exercise for teachers was, well, if they can just look it up, why are we asking them that anyway? And if the experience is about doing something that AI can do, what else could we be challenging learners with that goes beyond the boundaries of what AI is capable of?
0: Yes. is really important. So I think I'm hearing you say, yeah, so there's an analogy to, I like that analogy to the search engine is that we, we need to allow the technology to do the things that technology is going to do. We're not going to be able to stop that anyway. It's just, just going to happen. And so what is it? What freedoms does it allow us? What does it allow students to do that is uniquely non AI, such as going outside <laughs> or something like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Connecting with other people, building relationships, having an interaction with the physical world.
0: Um, I love it. Yeah. Um, Sharon, this has been awesome. I'd love to close with just two two uh, sound bites from you to our listeners. So, one is, "What's your takeaway message?" So, if there's one takeaway message, what would it be? And then the second is. Is there a person or an organization that you believe is making significant impact in the space that we're in, but might not normally be amplified that you'd like to just give a shout out to?
1: Takeaway message, I would say adults, challenge yourselves to learn more about your place. Walk outside, look at your front yard, look at your neighborhood and ask yourself, how much do you really know about what's growing there? How much do you really know about that tree on the corner, the the weed that's springing up at the corner and the cracks in the sidewalk? Um, Start there and you'll find that your excitement and curiosity becomes contagious and can inspire the next generation as well. And then Uh, An organization that's making a significant impact. I think recently I went to the New Schools Venture Fund uh, conference for the ventures that are supported by them and had an opportunity to interact with some folks that I think are representative of the power of the community coming together to shape their, their schools. Um, I spoke to the head of the Round Rock Black Parents Association from here in Round Rock, Texas, and they're a community of parents who know what they want for their kids and are going to work with teachers and school leaders to make that happen. And I think we could use more of that.
0: Right, and I, I, I think what's the the words you chose there are really important. So the working with rather than working against, and I think sometimes in our the, the world of politics that has entered into uh, schooling, unfortunately, is a lot of working against rather than working with. Um, so, so I, I really appreciate that. We'll put them in our show notes and and make sure we get a link to them or information to that group as well. So. Sharon, I, here's a couple of things that I took away from this. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I love catching up. Hope to do it in person soon. Uh, number one is just this idea that place-based education is is really the original form of education. All learning was place-based at one point, and we left that, and now with with a lot of fancy names, we're coming back to that. Place-based education being one of them. I love the modification to this idea of place prism. From originally, we had this place triangle concept of ecology. Uh, culture and economy and, and thinking about how it stretches infinitely into the past and infinitely into the future and how people sit within that, each uniquely sit within that. Uh, this idea that there's in any learning model, I think this is applicable to our listeners, is this idea of, of, of core, what is so fundamental and what are the have the strongest levers for change? And then what are accelerants in that? This idea that competency-based might be an accelerant whereas in place-based, the idea of inquiry and design and community as a classroom are, are, are critical and core. So I, I really appreciate it. Those are my takeaway thoughts. Um, if people want to learn more about Place Network, about your work, about Teton Science Schools, uh, where can they go to? What's the website, best website for them?
1: They can go to Tetonscience.org.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Go to tetonscience.org, folks. Uh, Take a look there. You'll see all sorts of great links. You'll find all sorts of information about their their mission around place-based education and the work that Sharon's doing. Sharon, thank you so much. Uh, Great conversation today. Uh, I look forward to catching up with you in in the near future. Hope you stay cool. In the meantime, down in Austin, and uh, uh, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate all the hard work you and your colleagues are doing.
1: Thanks for having me on, Nate. Look forward to talking to you again soon.
0: Thanks so much.